0: Sarah Hi Allison so here we are in an electoral period in France. Yeah, it's all hotting up, isn't
1: it, for these presidentials coming up in April. Mm-hmm. Candidates are starting to come out of the woodworks. Yeah, there are what, like 40 candidates so yeah, far? So far, uh, not counting Macron, of course, yeah. who has
0: still not officially announced that he's running for re-election. Yeah, that's coming. So a lot of these candidates, of course, will not end up in the final running. Um, they each need to gather at least 500 signatures from mayors to get on the ballot by the start of March. And historically, not everyone has been able to do this, have yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, this is going to take up more and more of the public's attention as Macron finally announces, mm-hmm. or doesn't, who knows. <laughs> um, but there's also a court case that's been going on in the background of all of this.
1: Yeah, the biggest case in French history, the trial of the men accused of taking part and planning the 2015 terrorist attacks in Paris.
0: Yeah, that left 131 people dead at the Bataclan nightclub and the Stade de France and other locations around the city. The trial is of 14 men who are. Still alive, and it started in September. Now we're technically halfway through it. Only one of the actual attackers, Salah Abdeslam, is still alive. The
1: other defendants are accused of helping plan or set up the attacks.
0: This is being called a historic trial, sorting through hundreds of thousands of pages of evidence with the goal of trying to make sense of the motivations behind the attacks. The trial's also about the survivors and, and the families of the victims. Yeah,
1: many of whom are part of the trial as what's known as the Parti civile or Civil Party, which uh, in French law formally attaches victims to a case. They get to be informed about what's going on, the developments, they can contest certain decisions and they can present their own evidence.
0: Yeah, and in this case it's also a way for them to put their pain and suffering from the attack into the public
1: record. That's a huge undertaking isn't it? The mm-hmm. trial was supposed to last nine months.
2: It may yeah, be longer. It
0: might be longer, yeah. And and it has sort of an, an air of drama, to be said. I mean, there was, you know, set design, you could say, with a special courthouse built on the Ile de la Cité, prosecutors and defense attorneys gearing up. Our colleague at RFI, Michael Fitzpatrick, has been attending the trial when it's been in session on and off since September. The first two months were devoted to laying out the forensic details, the crime scene, police investigations. There were officials like former President François Hollande who took the stand, questioned about France's ability to foresee such an attack. Belgian investigators also were questioned, um, as many of the planners of the attacks were, were based there. Belgium will have its own case, actually, after this one. And then there was testimony from survivors and the victims' families. A lot of emotion and outbursts from the defendants. I sat down with Michael at a cafe near the Ile de la Cité. That's as close as I was allowed to get to the courtroom, as it's heavily mm. guarded. Mm. He's written about this trial as a ritual of justice. And he says drama is a big part of the proceedings. And he described to me one recent scene in the courtroom.
3: Several uh, lawyers, from no- notably young lawyers, from representing the families of victims and the bereaved, stood up to speak in support of the defense, to say that they uh, did not want this trial to be in any way biased by dubious evidence. So if there was any doubt in the defense's mind that this evidence was suspect, then it should not be used. But while this statement was being made by one young lawyer, her colleagues who supported her stood in their black robes in various parts of the courtroom. And this is a room which has 550 people in it and you have these people standing in their black robes while this one woman speaks on their behalf. So if you want drama, well, you got it for sure.
0: You you aren't a court reporter, so it's hard to compare this to other cases, but do you have a sense for, I mean, is this how French courtrooms usually go, or is there a little more of an added bit of drama?
3: Well, it's, it's kind of hard to say. One of the things that has marked my experience has been, of course, the appearance of members of the families of the bereaved. So these are in French called les parties civiles, the civil witnesses. Part of the point of this trial is to try and provide answers uh, for those families and also to give them an occasion to register... Their grief as part of the facts in this case.
0: I mean, that seems like a pretty particular aspect of, of a French legal system in that this whole Parti Civil, this whole civil party of it, and, and yeah, and airing your grief and airing the impact, I guess, of a, of a particular crime. What's the experience of seeing that?
3: Well, each day when I arrive in the courtroom, I watch the various uh, groups arriving. You see the lawyers coming in, and they suddenly transform themselves from jean-wearing ordinary people to these cloak-wearing creatures who look like something out of Harry Potter. And they right
0: because French French lawyers wear robes, black they robes wore, in they
3: court, black robes with uh, little white uh, cravats. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you see the, the families arrive, and they they share hugs. Uh, there's a sense of community. So. There had been, of course, that sense of community already because there are several associations which group these people together. But in the courtroom, they they have that sense that their community is being heard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a sense of putting this in the public record. Um, so now, right now, you're hearing... I guess again from the accused. They introduced themselves in the beginning, now they're coming back on the stand. Um, What is coming out that hasn't been discovered? Like, What are we learning in this case that we didn't know before?
3: Very little. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing new is, is really being brought to the court, except perhaps the claims by the accused that their point of view has dramatically changed, which is an interesting aspect of the impact that this trial is having.
0: Can you explain that? What do you mean, just sort of because it's been months and they've been sitting stewing in jail and listening to the court?
3: Yeah, when the, when the families were, were testifying, there were a number of outbursts from the prisoner's box where some of the accused stood up and said, I am absolutely horrified by what I am hearing. I sympathize enormously with you and I deeply regret any part that I had in the preparation of these crimes, so perhaps that's just, uh, we're back to the theatre and this is part of a performance. Uh, that's what the court is having to judge, because of course the same suddenly expressed feeling of, of regret is also shaping the evidence that these men are now giving about what we're hearing from uh, from them at the moment about is um, their attitude to their Muslim religion, their so-called radicalization and their trips to Syria and their activities in the iraqo syrian war zone.
0: Yeah, pre- preceding November 2015 before the attack. So that's going to be up to the president and the, the judges to decide, are these people genuine or are they just putting on a show?
3: That is the terrible, uh, the terrible aspect of, of what we're watching.
0: So you you sign off all your dispatches with the trial continues. Yeah. So we're halfway through. What What's next?
3: Well, we're going to continue with the remaining accused. will give evidence on their own behalf. They will answer questions. Always finishing with questions posed by their own defense team. That's another rule in French law. The defense gets to speak last. Under French law, the people who are accused are accused at the end of succession of police and judicial investigations which create a mass of evidence which means while they remain innocent they do have enormous and important questions to ask and that's the case of all of these men.
0: They're basically there to disprove the evidence against them.
3: Yeah, to quote um, the French writer Emmanuel Carrere who is like me following this uh, trial on a daily basis and writing about it for a weekly magazine. He says the main effort that the lawyers are making is to get, not to prove that their men are innocent, but to get the word terrorism removed from the charges against them. So they are accused of association with a terrorist group. If they could be associated with a criminal group, the jail terms that they would risk at the end of all of this would change from 25 years for terrorism minimum, to 5, 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So you've got one who is accused of providing false papers mm-hmm. to a number of individuals. Uh, his business was providing false papers to criminals. So people asked him for false papers, he provided them. Mm-hmm. Is he a terrorist or is he a criminal? And that is going to make all the difference. The, the current phase of the trial will bring us up to August 2015, that is just before the immediate planning for the actual uh, November attacks uh, started. Uh, so uh, then then we will hear more police evidence about the final period, and again we'll hear from the accused, and then we'll be right into the midst of what actually happened.
0: So uh, an end date for May
3: 2022? would surprise me. So uh, already we have heard from some of the the families and each day, practically every day, the court opens with the acceptance of new names to the list of families who wish to be heard. And that's why I think this is going to go on for much longer. And I don't think the court president uh, is interested in getting it over by May. He allows justice and humanity to set the pace for his proceedings. And he doesn't seem at all worried about getting it over with. He, he wants it to be done right.
0: So, Sarah, this could clearly go on for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And COVID isn't helping. Mm. Two of the accused, including Salah Abdeslam, got COVID earlier this month. The hearings that were supposed to start in January were twice postponed, and I mean that's necessary if you think about it. All the defendants are in the courtroom in this enclosed box um, along with all their guards. There's a mm. lot of people in a very small space, so ripe for spreading the virus. Anyway, they're back in session now. As Michael says, the trial continues. You can find all of his dispatches from the trial on the RFI English website, rfienglish.com. <laughs>
2: Blesse plus profondément Dès qui résonne au fond des entrailles comme un compliment
1: Salancello, vas-y traite-moi, de... Oh
0: so the antelo, the intellectual, is kind of a staple of life here in France. Yeah, the, there's a status attached
1: to being, you know, the intellectual. Mm-hmm. We've we've got the Collège de France here, where people are actually employed to think. <laughs> uh, public intellectuals, um, like you know, talking heads, they're they're the bread and butter of a lot of French TV and radio talk shows.
0: Even at very early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, philosophers, historians come on. You know, think Bernard Henri Levy. But there's also a bit of negative connotation these days.
1: Yeah, lantilo, like we just heard mm-hmm. in that song there. Even my son, he's 11 years old, he's been known to use the term antillo as, an, as a bit of an insult.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that negativity isn't new. could be traced back to the 19th century, actually from the midst of the Dreyfus affair.
1: Remember that? Yeah, we talked about that recently, didn't we, Sarah? Alfred Dreyfus, he was a, a Jewish army officer, wrongly accused of selling secrets to the Germans. And the affair created a real rift in France Between those who supported him, the Dreyfusard, and then the more nationalist, pro army, anti Dreyfusard, who believed that he was guilty.
0: Yeah, the political split defined French politics in the 20th century, actually, through today, you could argue. And it also set up the culture wars, pitting the idea of the intellectual versus the masses. The anti-intellectual concept can be traced back to an article published during that time on February 1st, 1898 by Maurice Barrès, who was a leading anti-Dreyfusard, in which he denounced the intellectuals who came to Dreyfus's
1: defense. Now, the word intellectual comes from the Latin word intellectus.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's existed in the French language for a while. It became used as a noun, someone as an intellectual in the 19th century, usually just describing somebody who spends time thinking and writing. And it took on a decidedly negative connotation during the Dreyfus affair. So Émile Zola, the writer, famously published his defense of Dreyfus, J'accuse, in the Aurore newspaper in January of 1898, the publisher of that paper, Georges Clemenceau, who later became prime minister, published a petition signed by many writers whom he called intellectuals from all walks of life. But then there was a backlash. Yeah, yeah, indeed. There was already a growing anti-intellectual streak from the start of the Industrial Revolution in the 1830s, which pitted manual workers against thinkers. So to an extent, action versus theory. Absolutely. And, and this became very overt during the Dreyfus Affair. Maurice Barrès, You could argue perhaps an intellectual himself (laughs) published The Intellectual's Protest on February 1st, 1898, in the Daily Paper he managed, La Cocarde, and in it he dismissed the intellectuals defending Dreyfus as simpletons, he wrote, and foreigners. Intellectuals were aristocrats of thinking, he wrote, Mm -hmm. who affirm they do not think like the masses. And so we have here the start of this split of the intellectual both as somebody who's engaged in civic debate, but also someone who is out of touch with the real world world. And this idea, of course, still very much exists today around the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and in France, there have been cycles. You know, the communists in the 1930s and 40s did claim a kind of in- anti-intellectualism. And in the 60s, there's sort of a glorification of action, overthinking. But French presidents, as leaders, have always
1: been held up uh, as intellectuals, mm-hmm. or at least they're expected, they're expected yeah. to be. Yeah. Uh, General de Gaulle, he was a contender for the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1960. Frédéric Mitterrand, the socialist president, famously read Stendhal uh, at the Elysee. He really was the intellectual president par excellence. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then there's Nicolas Sarkozy, who was targeted, I mean, even mocked mm. by intellectuals and journalists for not being well read enough. I mean, he even got books sent to him as a gag. Yeah, it was um, a bit snarky. Actually. It was super <laughs> snarky. And But I mean, he, he definitely, you got the sense that he maybe felt a bit of an imposter, not having the right cultural and intellectual references. Yeah. Macron, President Macron is clearly very well read.
1: Uh, He always throws a lot of literary and philosophical references into his speeches. I don't know if he can be seen as an imposter, but there's a sense that uh, somehow there's, it's not altogether legitimate, mm. all this literary referencing. Mm-mm-mm. Maybe he's seen as being a little bit too young, he doesn't have enough gravitas. Also, I think perhaps his background in banking right. uh, somehow puts him apart on mm. that front. In any case, um, he presents himself very much as a man of action, more than one of reflection.
0: And, and today we're seeing anti-intellectualism coming from the right. Um, there's this critique of university studies on class and race and gender. Um, We've talked about accusations of Islamo-leftism in universities. Um, This really comes from that same streak. You know, this idea of nationalism versus this kind of leftist intellectual universalism. Maybe a nostalgia for a simpler time when things weren't so intellectually complex. Mm, A few candidates are pushing (laughs) that line. It's true, yeah. And, And it's likely we have not heard the end of this debate yet, pitting the regular citizen against the intellectual elitist.
2: So,
1: Sarah, the French Senate has just begun debating a law to criminalise bullying within schools and universities. Uh Now, the bill was passed uh, by the National Assembly in December And if it becomes law, well, it would make bullying by kids, students or staff within uh, educational establishments a crime and punishable by up to 10 years in prison and 45,000 euro fines. Wow, that's that's not light.
0: It's a heavy punishment Um, must be a. Big problem in France.
1: Well, the, the government says bullying affects around 5 to 6% of youngsters, but support groups say it's a lot higher than that, maybe mm-hmm. as many as 1 out of 10 kids have experienced some form of violence or harassment, especially at middle school level. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there is a real shortage of data, and some people are saying this is because well has hasn't taken the problem seriously enough up till now, and the situation appears to have worsened uh, over the last couple of years, notably during the, the pandemic. Yeah, I guess so many kids at home... In front of screens? Yeah, that's led to an increase, as in many parts of the world, mm. of course, in online bullying via social media. Some kids have even committed suicide. There were two very sad cases reported last autumn Dina, a 14 year old girl, and a 12 year old girl, Chanel. Both of them hanged themselves. Oof. Yeah, following the bullying they'd experienced. Um, there is a hotline in place for cyberbullying and another one for harassment but following those deaths in particular the government promised more measures. It's soon to launch a mobile application to allow victims or witnesses of bullying to send screen grabs to show harassment when it's happening and the government's also promised to open more centres where young people can come and talk. Arguably there haven't been enough places for youngsters to go to and that's led to a sense of extreme isolation for the kids but also for parents. One mother, Nora Fress, lost her 13-year-old daughter Marion a few years ago. Marion took her life after years of being bullied at school. Fress went on to set up an association, Marion La Main Tendue, Marion reaches out and they've opened two structures to help kids who've been bullied. Our colleague Marion de la Moissonnière recently visited one that opened about 30 kilometers from Paris just over a year ago. She first of all spoke to Fabienne, who recalls knocking on the centre's door at her wits end because her 16-year-old daughter had been bullied at school and no one believed her. Ça va paraître fou, mais on
2: dit bienvenue. It sounds crazy, but they said, welcome. And I thought, well, finally, somebody believes me. And above all, someone will believe my daughter. I was at breaking point. I didn't know what to do. I tried absolutely everything. I'd alerted the Ministry of Education, her primary school, and then the middle school, even the Education Authority. And no one reacted. My daughter was really damaged. She developed a phobia and she couldn't go to school at all. Fabienne and Juliette are both doing a lot better
1: now, thanks to the centre. They get free access to a psychologist, group therapy sessions. The centre also provides legal aid. Everything is designed to help youngsters get back their self-confidence. There are also volunteers working there and some, like 24-year-old Sandra, were bullied themselves at school so she understands what the kids are going through.
0: Je suis mais ma parole compte beaucoup pour eux parce que j'ai subi la même I'm not a psychologist, but they listen to what I say because I've been through the same thing. They dare to come and talk to me, ask what can be done, how I got through it. It's complicated, though. You can't help wondering why it happened to you. You think maybe you did something wrong. You question yourself a lot, but you shouldn't. I mean, bullies just target the one who's different, a bit sensitive. They spot a weakness. I was a bit overweight at the time. It's good to be accompanied by people who understand those kinds of things. I missed out on
1: that. The center looks after victims and their families, but also it makes space for those that are doing the bullying. They can come for a three day course and become so-called anti-bullying ambassadors in their schools. The centre's founder, Nora Frey,
2: says bullies are, for the most part, followers. Take the example of kids extorting money. They often have to do it because they're being racketed themselves. It continues through fear of revenge and also wanting to stay part of the group. There's a group phenomenon in all of this. And in the pack, there will necessarily be two or three who wanted to stop because they're victims of violence within the group. It's part of a continuum. There's violence within the family, on the streets, sexual violence too. And it translates into violence within school. Now, Fres is convinced that if
1: there is a quick reaction after the bullying begins, in two thirds of cases, it can be stopped. So to get back to the bill that would make bullying a crime, I mean, how effective can this be? Well, the education minister says it will send out a strong signal. And Sarah, as we know, French laws, they always have this strong symbolic value. Mm. In practical terms, it talks about introducing more anti-bullying training and prevention. Of course, the flashiest part, if you like, is this idea of criminalising bullying by anyone with this uh, big €45,000 fine and prison sentences. Those will be applicable if the psychological, physical and verbal bullying leads to the victim being unable to work or be in school for eight days. And the longer you're unable to work, the greater the punishment will be. Mm. And if the victim commits suicide or tries to, then the punishment could go up to 10 years in prison and uh, involve a 150,000 euro fine.
0: So I guess it's, it's about dissuasion.
1: Yeah, exactly. But a few left wing MPs have expressed reservations about all of this. They say this is not an adapted response. Repression isn't necessarily the answer or isn't the whole part of the answer, mm. if you like. For Nora Fress, the law just isn't adapted to the reality on the ground.
2: The law misses its target because it doesn't take into account the phenomenon of bullying between kids and the group aspect. It's not one bully, it's a group thing. I'm advocating education, talking about this from the youngest age, improving their psychosocial skills. When we reach a point where we're pushing for 10-year prison sentences, we've failed in some way. Fres says there are already a host of laws which could
1: apply, but they're not working. And... Fundamentally, she worries that the state just
2: doesn 't have the means to do what it 's proposing What worries me is that there 's an obligation to get results, but without the means. The law says we should introduce training for doctors and youth leaders well of course we should, but who will do the training and how will we pay for it? There are twelve million pupils in france sixty four thousand schools. How do we do it? comment on fait Clearly, a new law by itself is
1: not going to resolve the problem of bullying. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, And uh, some right-wing MPs, while supporting the bill in itself, have pointed out that parents, as the primary educators, also have a role to play. But sure. that's another very big question. N'est-ce pas? <laughs> We've come to the end of the show. Uh, This episode was mixed by Cécile Pompiani.
0: Spotlight on France is a production of the English service of Radio France International. We'd love to hear from you. You can send us your questions, your comments to spotlight.france at rfi.fr. Or you can find us on Instagram at Spotlight on France.
1: And you'll find previous episodes at RFIenglish.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday, February the 10th. Bye for now. Bye, Alison. (music)